Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. Sometimes to figure out what's not priced in, you have to identify what already is. So with that in mind, Greg and I unpack the latest Fed decision and surprising moves in the US stock market. Now, we also discussed a fresh Aussie job starter. Unemployment is down. That's good, right? Not necessarily. Labor productivity is bad, and Greg thinks businesses will start shedding workers to preserve profitability. All up, we're set for some tough times ahead, with Greg arguing the market is underpricing the impact of the huge number of fixed-rate mortgages set to reset in the coming weeks. But doom and gloom is a great time for a contrarian investor, and Greg thinks one sector in particular offers neglected potential, despite the headlines. Hint, it's related to property. Oh, and we end the discussion with pizza. I'm talking about Domino's, that is. Hello, and welcome back to the fourth episode of What's Not Priced In. I think by now, you probably already know the shtick. This podcast is all about reacting to news stories with, yeah, yeah, but what's not priced in. Uh, it's already become sort of a running gag in the office. Whenever someone shares a trend in story, someone else will sort of quip and go, yeah, yeah, but that's already in the price, what's not priced in. So in, a, in its own little way, it's having a small cultural impact, but um it's been it's been a big few weeks, I think, now with uh, central banks, our own central bank, and this week with the U.S. Fed. So, Greg, welcome again. And I think I want to start off with with the U.S. Fed and the latest decision. And uh, I think we'll yeah, we'll start off with that. What did you make of it? Were you surprised? Well, you know what, I, um, it, it's it's a bit frustrating that we probably start off most episodes talking about the Fed, yep. but I do want to quickly go back to something you mentioned just then is mm-hmm. that if there's one thing that we can do in this podcast is we can encourage people to understand that the market has already mostly in, in mm-hmm. most situations priced in uh, what's in the news and what's, what's in the headlines. Uh, so we're trying to work out what's not priced in mm-hmm. and that's not always easy. And, and, you know, filling an hour with not or 45 minutes with, what's not priced in uh, can be sometimes difficult. So we do talk about just general mm-hmm. uh, market vibe and, and, and what, what's, what's happening. But I think, you know, the important point to note is that if something is saturated in, in the, the headlines during the week, and we're going to talk about yep. some of that stuff later in the episode, uh, you can bet that that is largely priced in. So what you're trying to work out from that point is, is there too much negativity priced in? Therefore, mm-hmm. uh, that's where the opportunity lies. And that's really what we're trying to work out on this podcast every week. What has been priced in and therefore what's not priced exactly. in and where is yep. the opportunity. So that's uh, that's the key takeaway for, for, for listeners. And I think, um, you know, having been in financial markets for the better part of whatever, 25 years, it takes a long time to work out. You know, when you're looking mm-hmm. at daily headlines and you can get spooked on some stuff, but it once you realize that when by the time it gets to the news, it's already in the price, it's a really big insight and it's a really valuable mm. insight. So uh, that's the re- that's the the point behind this podcast. So uh, hopefully uh, we can we can leave you with a few key takeaways each week. Now talking about the Fed RBA, often mm. that is just a whole bunch of noise. So yeah. I don't really want to get too much into what I thought of it, what I didn't. Mm-hmm. All I will say is that, yes, the Fed paused uh, 
and said, we're going to, well, Jay Powell used the term skipped because he yep. wants the market to think that they're going to continue raising rates and their dot plots uh, on average factored in another two interest rate rises to come. Mm -hmm. uh, but my feeling is that the Fed is a little bit concerned about where the where the economy is heading from here. Mm -hmm. Wants to pause, but also wants to pause by saying, "Look, we we still uh, are going to tighten. You better believe us, because our dot plots say that we're going to tighten, uh, and we're really hawkish, and mm -hmm. um, we're going to keep raising rates uh, for longer." Now, I, if I had to guess, I would say that there's a really good chance the Fed has has paused, so has paused for good, and that you won't see any more rate hikes. But I would say that I don't think you're going to see any rate cuts. So if they have paused, mm -hmm. they're going to keep rates on hold for some time. Yeah, and that isn't priced into markets. Markets are still expecting for the Fed to start cutting rates. Uh, at some, I'm not sure the exact timeline. It might be early in 2024. Now that's been pushed back out. But if we look at financial markets, they haven't even blinked on this yeah. this whole Fed uh, Fed hiking cycle, and the S and P five hundred is now up to uh, you know getting back towards uh, the the highs from from late twenty twenty one, which is mm -hmm. a bit of a concern. Yeah, and I think uh, just get my notes in here. I think the S and P five hundred entered a technical bull market. I think last week or even this week. Uh, rallying over 20% of its October lows. So clearly the sentiment is quite strong. And I think he actually wanted to show uh, extreme greed and fear index uh, chart. Which yeah, let's have a look at that. I think this is um, this is a really interesting uh, aspect of, you know, what we were talking about uh, just then. So let me uh, share my screen here. Now, um, hopefully you can see this is yep. taken from the CNN fear and greed index, which is a combination of seven different factors that go towards uh, this overall uh, indicator. And as you can see, we're at the extreme greed level. This is the highest reading uh, in well over a year. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is happening when the Fed is raising rates and telling the market that it's going to continue raising rates. So what I did um, is looked at the last time uh, the S&P or looked at the last few times that the CNN fear and greed index jumped into the extreme mm -hmm. greed range. And it did so uh, here um, on the 1st of December. That was uh, the top for the market, the short-term mm -hmm. top. And we went on to have an 8% correction from that point. Uh, then it rallied, um, it went back into fear mode and then um, it rallied right at those lows of the fear mode in the CNN fear and greed index. Mm -hmm. And then it got back up to extreme greed within a couple of months again. So on the 1st of Feb, we got to an extreme greed um, reading. And then again, from the top to the bottom, we corrected 8%. So here we've gone into an extreme greed reading uh, just a little bit before this, this factors in. Uh, the overnight move, which was quite strong again, mm -hmm. and we're we're at the highest extreme greed reading there's been in, uh, as I said, over a year. the The timeline doesn't go back any further than a year, but this is clearly the highest in a year. So my uh, feeling from here is you're going to see a decent correction play out. Now, whether this is the 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 top and uh, this is the culmination of a big bull market rally that we've seen mm -hmm. since the lows back in October September last year. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously find out, but this is clearly uh, 
we're, we're just seeing a big spike in sentiment. And what's more worrying about that is that it's a very narrow uh, yep. rally. And there's a chart here that I wanted to to show that uh, I can't remember if we showed this in uh, a show from a, a week or two ago, but it shows the S&P 500, the percentage of stocks in the S&P 500 mm -hmm. above their 200-day moving average. And that peaked back on the uh, 2nd of February. So that was the, the last time you saw the extreme greed mm -hmm. reading. And it's since corrected from there. And, and even though we have seen a bit of a, an improvement in that metric recently, we're nowhere near back at the high. So you could say that the internal high for the market was really back at the start of the year. And, and this sort of points to the narrowness of the recent rally. And, and as everyone knows, that's been concentrated around the tech stocks. And it's a similar situation here as well in Australia. I pulled out this chart just to show the ASX 200, the number of stocks that are, or the percentage of ASX 200 stocks trading above their 200-day moving mm -hmm. average, that peaked on the 3rd of February. So pretty much the exact same time as it did in the US. And we are obviously really struggling with our uh, interest rate situation as well. So you've seen the internal peak of the Aussie market was back here at the start of the year. Uh, and as we've mentioned before, uh, obviously that was on the back of rallying US markets uh, on the hope of a China reopening. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's clearly peaked higher and we're, we're really starting to struggle now. And the whole trend of that, that moving up from the lows last year, now looks like it's starting to roll over. If you look at these moving averages here that are heading back down. Mm. And just to go back to the US market, this, is, this index here is called the Move Index. And it's not a widely known index, but it's a measure of volatility in the bond market. Mm -hmm. And when bond market volatility is quite high, uh, it, it, it has an impact on stock market liquidity. Um, there are sort of detailed reasons that I won't go into what, why that's the case. But when you're, and if I go back further here, you can see that this bond market volatility really mm -hmm. started to pick up and that was on the back of higher inflation and obviously, you know, a lot of uncertainty over uh, the correct pricing of bond markets. And bond market bonds are used. U.S. government bonds are used extensively in in collateral, mm -hmm. uh, the use of collateral to borrow against, and and that provides liquidity to the market. So the more uh, bonds you can use as collateral, the more liquidity comes into the market. When volatility picks up, it, it lessens the use of that collateral. So mm -hmm. around here, you can see um, really high uh, vo volatility in bond markets, and this was late September. Uh, early October, which was the lows for the S&P 500. We did see a really big spike here, and that was on the back of the whole uh, Silicon Valley bank mm -hmm. uh, situation. That didn't correspond to a new low in the S&P 500, which indicated that uh, the, the fact that the Fed came in and provided liquidity, I think, was a, was a big help at that stage. But now you've seen this whole volatility of the bond market really, really come back down mm -hmm. to the low levels that has existed over the past 12 to 18 months. So that is really helping driving this rally. And I think you could easily argue this is just a liquidity fueled rally. Uh, that's that, that sentiment is starting to drive higher now. Um, and based on going back to the S&P 500, based on <laughs> the extreme greed reading. Uh, and if I look at the RSI index, which is a me measure of momentum, mm -hmm. we are really, really stretched here. I mean, that's the highest RSI we've seen probably since the peak in the market back in November 
2021 or near the peak of the market. So mm. we're getting to levels where it's increasing probability of a decent correction playing out. Uh, and the question is, I'll just stop showing my screen now. Uh, the question is how how much, how big is the correction going to be from here? Mm. Well, I think I I wanted to ask you, are you, are you perplexed by how, how the US tech stocks have rallied and uh, given the rally sort of coming in at a moment where I think what China is sort of now is trying to stimulate its economy. New Zealand is in a recession. Other like uh, com- other countries are sort of still raising rates because they're worried about inflation. And in, amidst all this, uh, the U.S. stock market is in a technical bull market. Are you are you surprised, or are the animal spirits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's just what markets do, right? They yeah. they're continually surprising people. And uh, if you look at no one would have expected the S&P 500 mm. to be back near its highs. But as we pointed out, I think it was the first episode, often you do get after big bear markets, you get uh, reflex rallies that take stocks back to near their highs. I mean, Apple's back to new all-time highs. Mm. Microsoft's near its highs. Uh, NVIDIA's clearly at new all-time highs. So um, yes, it's it's been surprising. Um, no one would have expected the with the Fed continuing QE, uh, sorry, QT, quantitative tightening, and with interest rates rising in, a, in quite a rapid manner, no one would have expected uh, the S&P 500 to, to be in the position it's in now. Uh, and if you look at, um, I think it was a, an insider that Vern Gowdy wrote for us on, on Wednesday, and this is pretty well-known fact, but I think it's seven stocks that have driven mm. the whole rally uh, over the over the past few months, and for I think from the start of the year, there's 490 S and P stocks that have done nothing for the year, mm-hmm. whereas it's it's really been driven. And that narrowness, um, which you mentioned in one of your uh, in in one of the podcasts as well, that narrowness is is a concern. Um, so, what the S and P 500 is not pricing in is is the fact that sentiment is now as at an extreme. Uh, you don't have a lot of fundamental drivers for continuing uh, continuing support. You've got bond volatility now back down towards mm. its lows over the past couple of months. So that will probably uh, peter out in terms of a, a continuing driver. Sentiment in- index indexes, not just uh, the CNN fear and greed index, but just investor sentiment surveys have now gone back up to where they were mm. back in their highs in, in 2021. And often investor sentiment is the missing ingredient when you're looking at trying to time, not that I try to time moves, but you know you try to get a sense of when markets might be topping out, at least for, for the short mm-hmm. term. It's always, about, it's always about sentiment because fundamentals occur and then investors chase those fundamentals. And in the situation where you're talking about the tech stocks, uh, I wouldn't say this is a scenario like in 2000 where there was no earnings, mm. that these tech companies have got genuine earnings drivers, but everyone knows that now everyone's jumping on board because those are the stocks that are going up. If you've got money and you want to put it into the market, you're going to put it into a, a tech ETF or a NASDAQ mm. ETF. That money's automatically going to go into these stocks regardless of value, regardless of uh, you know any fundamentals. It's just momentum that are driving these stocks. So, uh, and as I showed in that S&P 500 chart, the momentum is now very stretched to the upside. So I'd expect to see a correction unfolding pretty soon. Yeah. And I think just to highlight just how concentrated it is, I think the market cap of Apple, I think, is almost as similar as the market cap of the Russell 2000 small companies. 
So those companies are huge and given their massive size, they're having an outsized effect on the market. But I think we should probably stop talking about the US and now move over to local shores. Well, actually, just one, one more thing yep, before you do, because yep. um, uh, when you just mentioned, does it surprise me in terms of the, mm-hmm. the, the rally? One of the interest, interesting things is that tech stocks previously rallied on on lower interest rates, right? And the, the fact that mm-hmm. the bond yields were, were moving down. Bond yields haven't moved down for quite some time and bond yields have been heading heading higher. So that's another head scratcher. That's another yep. sort of, okay, well, that... So I, I guess it's just another reason why this rally will pretty much end, I think will end pretty soon. Yeah, and I think, I think yeah, that's an interesting point. And I think other analysts sort of pointed out saying um, there was this idea that the tech rally before was a zero interest rate phenomenon, but now that interest rates are high and tech rally is still going on, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's a head scratcher. But now I sort of want to ask you about Australia. We've had some big data being released this week, namely, I think the biggest was the unemployment or the employment figure. Uh, and yep. I think to the surprise of many, I think unemployment actually fell to 3.6% in May, uh, down from 3.7. I think an interesting number now, the number of employed people in Australia has now hit 14 million for the very first time. Uh, just before the pandemic, that number was under 13 million. Uh, I think also concerningly, maybe for the for the Reserve Bank Australia's population grew by 1.9% the fastest pace since 2008. Um, so what do you make of that? Because I think on the one hand, you could say, well, the economy is still sort of strong. It's still hot. Uh, but on the other hand, you do have these recessionary signals. I think the retail sector is sort of crashing. And I think now you're going to sort of talk about, you know, the there's a fixed rate mortgage cliff that we're about to, about to hit. And the, a lot of people with fixed rate mortgages are going to jump on to much higher variable rates. So what, yeah, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, well, look, I, one thing I'd point out is I'm not an economist. I don't pour through the the unemployment uh, yeah. numbers. I do know that the unemployment numbers are a lagging indicator mm-hmm. and we got a strong employment reading yesterday uh, and then the market said, okay, well, that means that the, the RBA has definitely got to move again. We've got to keep raising interest rates to, to take the heat out of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, my view is a little bit different. Uh, I I, I don't think the RBA should raise interest rates again, but I do think they probably will because they're starting to they're starting to panic that inflation is getting out of hand, and mm-hmm. that panic means that they're not prepared to wait in the same way that the Fed Reserve is. Uh, so they will probably raise again, and that is going to cause more pain uh, for the for the Aussie economy. One of the things I would point out is when the Fair Work Commission uh, came out with their ruling to to increase wages, uh, was it just a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That obviously wouldn't be captured in any of these uh, em- employment numbers. And my mm-hmm. feeling is that when we talked about the lack of labour productivity, uh, we talked about that last week, the way that you you deal with that is to lower uh, mm-hmm. your, your employment. Uh, now, that might not happen immediately, but I think it's going it's going to happen. Why is our employment market so strong? Uh, again, I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to do with the, there's a lot of fiscal stimulus mm-hmm. in the economy. And I know uh, the RBA governor, uh, Philip Lowe, has said that it's neutral. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's probably quite stimulatory to the economy. So that's obviously having an impact. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we've got huge amount of spending going on with this energy transition. Mm. Uh, and when you're building lots of renewable energy and, and haven't had it hooked up to the grid, uh, then clearly that's quite unproductive in the short term. Mm. Uh, whether that will turn productive in the longer term, I have my doubts. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's that's something that is is clearly feeding into employment and, and demand for employment without getting the, the productivity benefits for that immediately. Uh, so yes, the RBA will continue to hike. But and and this is an interesting chart that I wanted to to show uh, people is that if you look at uh, let's see. So this chart here shows, uh, let me explain. The TFF is the term mm-hmm. funding facility that the RBA provided to all the banks back in, what was it, 20, 2020, 2021, uh, on, the, on the proviso that, you know, go out and lend this money. We'll give it to mm-hmm. you at 0.1%. Uh, cost and go and make fixed rate loans and and get some money into the economy. So that's obviously starting to come due now. And we all, all, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this fixed rate uh, cliff uh, that's been, that's happening this year. Mm -hmm. But the reality is it has barely started to happen. And this Mm -hmm. is the September quarter, which we're about to move into. So at the end of June, we'll move into the September quarter and there's over 60 billion of these fixed rate loans that are about to mature. And then when you take in, in when you include uh, July, December mm-hmm. quarter, which is all of the rest of 2020, 2023, there is an including uh, the government uh, debt that will mature as well. The Reserve Bank's balance sheet is going to shrink by about $84 mm-hmm. billion dollars this year. And most of that is going to start happening in the next couple of weeks uh, or, or the next month or so. Is that priced in? Uh, I have my doubts. Uh, if you look at the retailers in, in recent weeks, they've actually fallen considerably. But if you look mm-hmm. at just the consumer discretionary stocks, and this is uh, the S&P, uh, sorry, the ASX 200 Consumer Discretionary Index, it's fallen. Obviously, let's have a look how much it's fallen just in the in the last month or so. Uh, you know, it's down, it's down about 8%. So it's had a decent correction and it looks mm-hmm. like it's about to turn into a downtrend here, but we're still well off the lows from a, a year ago. And, mm-hmm. and um, probably should point out we're at celebrating the anniversary of the, of the bear market lows um, at this point. So it's been a year of grinding higher and it looks like we're starting to turn back down. Now, my view is that this sector probably hasn't priced in the huge wall of uh, fixed rate loans that are about to mature. Now, I know that a lot of people have talked about this. I know that there's a lot of commentary about this happening, but I haven't really seen too much to say it is going to hit in a major way uh, in, 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 sep- in the September quarter. And then if we look forward for another year in the June quarter of 2024, there's obviously a massive amount of uh, maturities to come as well. So what this does in effect is that it brings people from let's say a 2% mortgage to a 5% mortgage in one quick move. And that's a huge drain on uh, discretionary spending. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about employment gains, if we talk about the employment market being too hot, it probably needs to be pretty good if if the economy is going to absorb this Mm -hmm. type of uh, hit to discretionary spending and household incomes. Uh, So if you look at, some of the retailers like um, 
uh, I'll just stop sharing the screen. If we look at some of the retailers like uh, Maya, for example, it's mm-hmm. fallen it's fallen uh, around 50% in a matter of months. Um, Premier Investments, which is another uh, big retailer with lots of different brands, mm-hmm. down 25% since its peak in, in February. Uh, Harvey Norman's down 30% since late January. Uh, Adairs, which is a betting that's down 50% since Feb. Uh, Super Retail Group, uh, which is the Rebel franchise mm-hmm. of Super Cheap Auto, it's down more than 20% since April. Uh, and JB Hi-Fi is hanging in there down 15%. But, you know, there's a lot of damage that's been done just in the retail sector. And that, those stocks are certainly starting to price in this coming uh, this coming sort of hit to dis- consumer discretionary spending. I'm not sure if uh, other stocks in the sector uh, are, are looking at that um, in, in the same way. So I think there is some more pain to come. And if the RBA continues to raise rates, which looks like they're going to do because they think they're behind the eight ball, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's going to be more pain to come. Mm. And I think, um, uh, I think yeah, you mentioned all those retail stocks, the management themselves have sort of hinted that they're seeing much lower sales. They're sort of, I think some of them that you've mentioned have already sort of downgraded their forecasts. Um, but the, the, the reports that I've seen from the management, they're not exactly saying that it's doom and gloom. So there could be even further downside to come as they're not really anticipating just how, just, just the amount of hits that the, the consumer is going to take. But in an in interesting yep. way, I, I wanted to quote you, and I think you recently wrote to your subscribers, something that's um, going to cheer a lot of people up. And you said that. Household finances are going to take a big hit in the September quarter. This will occur at a time when people are starting to lose their jobs. Labor productivity is woeful and businesses will shed workers to preserve profitability. So that's not exactly a ch- <laughs> It's very, <laughs> exactly something you want to hear. Friday. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's interesting because if it, it is the case that uh, the Aussie consumer is going to struggle even though the Reserve Bank continues to hike rates, I think we might see uh, maybe a, a big drop in inflation down the track because retail goods like furniture, food, clothing, footwear, they comprise about one third of the Australian consumer price index. So um, if we if we all start spending less on all those things, that's going to take influence the CPI in quite a big way. So yep. basically, yeah, it's uh, interesting to... To sort of monitor now and then on the other side of that coin kirill uh you've got energy uh, yep. household energy costs rising sharply which is going to mm. feed into uh the inflation numbers but when you think about it it's the same like if the rba is is uh hiking rates and taking stimulus and liquidity out of the market then there's a smaller pool of money that mm. is left in order to spend on uh you know, essentials and discretionary items. So if your energy costs are increasing, and in some cases they're increasing 30, 40, 50%, that's just less money that you have to spend. So in an environment where there is not an increase in uh, in stimulus and prices are going up for essentials like energy, then that is in in many ways deflationary because you have to pull back spending mm-hmm. in in other areas in order to 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 finance that uh, that essential spending, um, and that's one of the things that 
I guess is really difficult with this inflation is that the RBA is raising rates to try to get inflation down, mm-hmm. but the inflation numbers that are really feeding in like the energy and, and petrol prices and stuff, the RBA can raise rates as much as they want and it's not really going to ha- help get those prices down. Mm. And that's why we pointed out last week, you know, it was frustrating that uh, Philip Lowe said that the government is working to get inflation down by spending more money to give to mm. people that will hopefully push their push their bills down. To me, that is not that is not helping with inflation. That's actually fueling it. Uh, and what would help with inflation is to look for more gas and, mm. and energy to get it to get more uh, to market at a lower price. Yeah. And I think just today, I think AGL came up with a profit upgrade. And I think they were saying that in full year 2024, market conditions are going to improve. I think the stronger electricity prices, I think the front page of the AFR was saying that power bills might actually rise 50%. So it's not really looking great for the Australian consumer. And this is all happening at the time that the Reserve Bank is probably becoming more hawkish. So I guess what what's not priced in is maybe um, Armageddon, I guess I could say. Well, not, maybe not Armageddon, but um, certainly if you think back to that chart I just showed on the mm. dis- consumer discretionary side, it made made its low in June last year. And it, I don't think anyone really thought interest rates were going to go as high as they are now mm. with the RBA pushing to go to go further. So um, to me, it's just a, a sector that hasn't necessarily priced in mm. uh, more pain to come uh, in the next few months. I think retail is going to be a great buy. Uh, certainly, it could be within the next few months. It could be mm. by the end of the year. Uh, but I think there's probably more pain to come in that sector, uh, purely because it is that it is so susceptible to to short term consumer spending, and the market does react pretty quickly. So I think there's there's probably downgrades to come in that sector, uh, at which point it, it could be quite interesting to look at. And just as a uh, you, you mentioned AGL there, mm-hmm. I remember back in was it 2021, uh, I was recommending Origin to to my subscribers because. At that point, you could effectively get its electricity or its uh, uh, energy generation business for free. It was priced mm. at almost zero, and you were just paying for the the LNG uh, assets mm. um, that it had in Queensland. So the market does do some crazy pricing from from time to time. And now we're back at a point where uh, I think it's Brookfield uh, has has come in and made a made a bid for Origin, mm. uh, and so that's another company that we're going to lose to to foreign interest because we've had such short-sighted pricing on on these assets and now origins also upgraded uh it's it's um profits over the past couple of couple of months on that mm-hmm. asset agl's doing doing so now so the, the time to move on these assets is when everyone hates them but you yeah. just probably don't want to move in too early because there might be some more downside to come yeah definitely I, I was looking at some of the the metrics for those retail stocks and um they're definitely look attractive but they can definitely also be a value trap in the next months ahead if earnings continue to be downgraded i think for instance um city just downgraded lavisa and lavisa i think was one of the stronger retailers that sort of continued to roll out stores and people continued to buy cheap jewelry so yeah it's a great business by the way it's a really really well-run business uh it's got a really high return on equity Mm -hmm. and that's the thing about retailers they can be very profitable when they're when they're well run and they've got good management, mm. good management, good inventory management. But at times like this, when people are pulling back on their spending, you do see big, big declines in the share prices. And that's the time to move in and buy them. I mean, we've owned uh, 
Levisa before, made some good profits on it, uh, sold it. Um, I can't remember when we sold it actually, but it sold it around uh, probably uh, a little bit above where where the price is now. Uh, mm. and, but it will it will be good value again, and be time to to move back and have a look at it. But you just got to be careful of not jumping in too early mm. when there's you know uh, headwinds in, in terms of the earnings and i think we're still in a headwind stage for that sector mm. and i also briefly wanted to get your comment on china i think australia's economic fate is sort of closely linked to china and there's been a lot of news from there i think um just recently the chinese central bank decided to cut its main policy rate and that was for the first time in 10 months um and so People sort of expected China's post-COVID recovery to be strong, but it's sort of petering out. And um, what do you make of that? And what does that mean maybe for Australia and its economy and maybe things like mining stocks? Well, I think China's just experiencing what it's experienced for the past few years. It's tried to slow its property mm. sector down. It's tried to adjust its infrastructure-led growth model. Uh, and every time it, it does that, it gets into a point where mm. it slows down a little too much for the central uh, government's liking, and then it moves and comes back with some stimulus plans. So we're seeing that now. Uh, we did point out, it might have been the first episode mm -hmm. or, or at least the second, that the uh, the yuan had fallen uh, considerably uh, versus the US dollar, and we showed how that tracked mm. uh, copper and iron ore prices, and we, and we said that there looks like there should be uh, a bit of a rebound to expect, and we've certainly seen that over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I might just show you uh, the charts of copper and um, copper and iron ore, just to give you an update on on what they what they look like. Mm -hmm. Because it's interesting in that we have seen a nice bounce from this is a copper price. We have seen a nice bounce, and mm -hmm. we're moving back up into these moving averages. So if copper is genuinely in a in a uh, a change of trend i would expect to see this sort of move up higher through those moving averages if it's still in this downtrend you'll probably see some selling pressure come in now and and mm -hmm. move down the uh iron ore price i just need to change the chart to look at that that's mm -hmm. also had an, had a little bounce recently uh back up around these moving averages so it remains to be seen whether we are sort of going back into higher prices here or whether this this downtrend will continue. And I thought it just interesting to show, given that China is such an important mm -hmm. uh, economy in terms of um, in terms of consumption of commodities and stuff like that, uh, this is the oil price. This is the Brent crude oil price, mm -hmm. which is the international uh, benchmark, really getting down towards these longer-term support levels now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm bullish longer-term on, on traditional energy, oil and gas, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we have seen a big correction uh, in the oil price. It is starting to bottom around these levels, and I think this is a, a good time to be accumulating uh, mm -hmm. any energy stocks, uh, oil, uh, gas, all that sort of stuff. So what's not priced in here is the fact that we are going to see uh, an eventual rebound for the global economy, uh, tightening the tightening phase will end uh, i'm not saying we go back into a uh, monetary policy is going to act with a uh, with a tailwind anytime soon but this this is pricing in a, a global slowdown and has been for some time whereas mm -hmm. you know some other parts of the market haven't at all uh, so i think that's encouraging uh, and you've also seen the aussie dollar really respond mm -hmm. um, recently and especially with the recent news of the chinese uh, stimulus Aussie dollar, Aussie economy, Aussie uh, 
Commodity stocks always love news of a stimulus, and even the yuan has had a little bounce there. I'll just sort of mm-hmm. zoom in on it because you do have to look quite closely. <laughs> um, it's had a little bounce there on on news of stimulus. So mm-hmm. um, everyone's excited about uh, about the Chinese stimulus coming through, but often and and look, I'm not saying it's not a not a positive thing for mm-hmm. for some stocks in the market. It's good, but it's certainly a sign that. Chinese are quite concerned about uh, their their growth model, and they need to keep topping it up with with stimulus. So, yeah, uh, longer term it's not great. Shorter term it's uh, it's a, it's a boost. Yeah, I mean, stimulus does sound like a positive thing, but it's clearly not coming from a great place for them to even contemplate stimulus. Suggests that they are definitely well, so soon after the reopening as well, which everyone <laughs> yeah. expected would uh, provide on a lot more bang for its yeah. buck than it did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think now it's sort of. Um, this is probably the what's not priced in segment that may be the most um, in tune with its with its ethos. I think we always like to say here that if it's in the news and it, it's in the price, and I think if anyone's been sort of reading the AFI in recent weeks, in recent days especially, the front pages have sort of been heavily featuring numerous gloomy headlines about you know office valuations and how the property sector is sort of um, struggling. Uh, and that sort of suggested there's a lot of bad news already uh, being digested by the market. And I think recently you've just uh, published a monthly for your readers about the property trusts. Um, and so what's not priced in at the moment with all of these bad economic news is that maybe it's good news for property trusts because if we've seen the end of the rate hiking cycle, it's probably good news for, for property trusts. So maybe you can uh, take us more through that. Yeah, so uh, this week I published uh, the month monthly investment newsletter, which uh, contained a couple of property trust recommendations, and I I decided on on writing these stocks up last week. I'd done a fair bit of research on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple of really interesting uh, value plays there, and this week I was actually really happy to see the negative headlines come out about the office valuations. I just thought, you know, this couldn't be timed time better because the stock, some of the stock prices sold off again. Mm. There was clearly a lot of nervousness, uh, but it was just a, a really good example of the market panicking about something that had already been priced in. So let's have a look at a couple of, I've written a couple of the, uh, the big property stocks down mm-hmm. just to give you a sense of um, how they're being valued by the market at the moment. So if we look at Dexus, for example, um, it's got a big exposure to office, uh, which has been, I guess, one of the one of the sectors that have been hated the most recently. Everyone's worried about office valuations, mm-hmm. and Dexus came out last Friday with a transaction of one of its prime Sydney properties, and that transaction was conducted at a seventeen percent discount to its carrying value on mm-hmm. the balance sheet. So that sounds really bad, right? It sounds, oh, geez, 17% Mm -hmm. lower than its value on the balance sheet. We better sell that stock and not go anywhere near Mm -hmm. it. But Dexas has been trading at 0.66% of its book value for the past six months or or even even worse, I should Mm -hmm. say. Um, So it's already been priced in. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at Vicinity, which is, I think, mostly a a shopping center owner. That's 0.77 times book. Uh, Center Group is 0.68 times book value. Um, 
BWP, which is the Bunnings uh, ownership franchise, mm-hmm. that's 0.9 times book. And Bunnings is probably one of the most popular uh, REITs out there in mm-hmm. terms of its security and safety because everyone knows that West Farmers, West Farmers will pay the bill. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Mervac is uh, 0.77 times book value. So we're looking at these companies that are, that are trading at anywhere from a 20 to 30% mm-hmm. discount on their book value. And the market's getting nervous and worried about uh, you know, in some cases, 5% downgrades. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Dex's case, one of the assets went for 17% below. So when you look at the, the real world mm-hmm. numbers are not looking great, uh, but the market has already priced that in. It's already said, look, we know that this is not good. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, the situation's looking pretty bleak. Uh, so for my mind, this week was almost like a, a, a low for property stocks in mm. that the sentiment can't get much worse because you did see some reactionary selling uh, from some of those stocks, but uh, they're, they're well off their lows. And mm. I might just show uh, quickly show a chart of the uh, ASX 200 property index uh, to give you a sense of what the, what the whole sector looks like. And it's actually, as you can see here, it bottomed back in, September last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is September. And this was also the peak for Aussie government bond yields. The 10-year bond yield peaked around this time. So property trusts are very sensitive to interest rates, very sensitive to market rates. And it bottomed here since rallied. Um, we made a higher low there, mm-hmm. rallied up again. Uh, this was the internal high that I discussed earlier in the in the piece in, in February, early February, where a lot of stocks were trading quite strongly. Since corrected back, it's found support at that support level, mm-hmm. rolled over again here, found support. So the, the risk to this outlook is that the RBA just keeps raising rates and uh, smashes, uh, I guess, the valuations because when rates rise, uh, the what they call the cap rate or the capitalization rate that they use to value their assets, mm-hmm. that increases as well. Um, and to be fair, uh, property trusts aren't the most profitable businesses, mm-hmm. and that's because they are f- effectively land owners. They're not operating businesses that can run hugely efficient capital bases. It, it, you know, land is very capital intensive, mm-hmm. so it costs a lot to uh, to buy and, and build properties and own them. So the return on equities are quite low uh, with a lot of these businesses. So in some cases, they deserve to trade at a discount to book value. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not suggesting that all these businesses should be trading at book value or a premium to book value. I guess what I'm saying is that at a 30 uh, and 20% discount, that there there is some uh, considerable value in the sector if you think interest rates are close to peaking, and I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, even though the economy uh, has obviously got some challenges, uh, property is pretty defensive and businesses still need to especially prime property locations, businesses still need to operate and obviously they need to uh, pay their rent in order to operate. So I don't think, um, you know, I don't think that this sector is going to take off anytime soon, but I think if you're a long-term, uh, if you've got a long-term view mm-hmm. and you can and buy and you can collect, like just going through the yields on some of these stocks, you've got vicinity yielding 6.32%. This is forecast for FY24, I should point out. Center Group, 6.6%. Uh, you've got Dexas at 6.4% uh, and GPT Group at 6.2%. So you're getting a decent yield uh, mm-hmm. while you're waiting to see, uh, you know, to see if the 
um, see if the interest rate um, hiking cycle is has improved or turned around. So I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, options to look at in that sector. Yeah, it's it's definitely I think uh, a perfect contrarian play that sort of looks at what the market is sort of pricing in and then um, arguing the other way. Um, well, I think, is there anything else that you sort of wanted to raise or any other stocks that you wanted to mention? Because I think we've pretty much covered everything. We've pretty much covered everything. We did talk about, uh, we'd like to have a stock of the week. Um, okay. So I thought I might just give uh, viewers a quick squiz at uh, Domino's Pizza. Australia's favorite pizza a- retailer. <laughs> Say that again? Australia's favorite pizza retailer. Yes. I don't think so. Well, I don't know if it's going to be investors' favorite pizza retailer. <laughs> it's been under the pump for quite some time, but it did come out with a little profit warning this week. And I just wanted to show that it is now. Wow, that's quite the uh, that's quite the spike. It's very Nasdaq like. Wow. Uh, yep. Nasdaq nineteen ninety nine, I should say, or two thousand twenty three. Yep. Um, <laughs> it has it has pretty much given up all its COVID-induced gains where people mm-hmm. were locked at home, sitting around, watching crap on TV and eating pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's come all the way back down to near this, I guess, $40 support level. Um, I haven't done a valuation on Domino's for quite some time, but uh, and I, you know, I certainly wouldn't be buying <laughs> at the moment. Um, but I think this is interesting. I think it's coming back down to a support level where you would probably look at it and say, okay, well, this might be interesting to 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 pick it up here after such a huge uh, rally and, and and a massive big pullback. Um, it's coming back down into a into a what I would say is a decent valuation range. I haven't, as I said, haven't looked at the valuation specifically, but I do know it's a high, highly profitable business. Mm. It's a very well run business. Uh, haven't sort of looked into its growth. Uh, prospects or how it's managing that growth in its overseas markets, which is where yeah. the growth should be coming from. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting to point out that it's uh, gone all the way up and now it's gone all the way back down, which is what happens a lot of the times. Yeah. Markets are mean reverting. And to go back to how we started the conversation, I think the S&P 500 is going to see some mean reversion in the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, I think with with uh, the dominoes, whenever you see such an extreme run up in price and then an extreme sell down, it does offer opportunities because I think when people sort of turn away and disgust at stocks like that, it, they do maybe oversell and then they, it does create bargain opportunities. Um, and I think for a while, dominoes did sort of seem overvalued. I think at times it was almost trading like a tech stock. <laughs> it's really, you know, selling pizzas to people. And I think... Um, yeah, but it I was think, doing it via an app. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, and using those electric scooters. So it's, it's yeah. got that EV theme as well. But I think um, exactly. the growth sort of prospects, I think, are maybe also p- being pared down. I think in the update it said it's maybe exiting Denmark. So it's not like it can grow in every market. It's probably going to be successful in very dense areas where it can sort of deliver to lots of homes from a small area. Um, you know what? It's always the problem. Well, it, it's it's been a problem for a lot of Aussie businesses mm-hmm. that try to replicate their success. And our market is very limited in the amount of scalable mm-hmm. growth that you can you can deliver. And um, it's very difficult for our for some of our businesses to go offshore and try and replicate the type of growth mm-hmm. or implement the business model uh, that they've had to do or been able to do successfully in Australia. So perhaps this is dominoes moment where it's it's realizing that it needs to uh be a little bit more selective in in the markets it tries to expand in 
Yeah, especially when you have like all, all the other major pizza ones like Pizza Hut and whatever else is being sold across the world. But yeah, maybe we'll um we'll look at Domino's Pizza throughout the year and just to see if it's uh becoming good value again. Like it's value yeah, pizza we'll... range. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, well, with that said, um on that note. <laughs> exactly. Uh that makes me hungry for a pizza. But anyway, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll we'll see you next week. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining What's Not Priced In, your weekly source of unique ideas in the Australian stock market. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics, new trends and new stocks. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you next week.